welcome to episode 4 of season 8 of Delving Into Dance. This episode is with Thomas Bradley. Thomas grew up in rural New South Wales in a town called Cootamundra. Since then, dance has taken Thomas to Europe via Sydney Dance Company and New Zealand School of Dance, as well as a few other stops along the way. Thomas has become increasingly interested in costume design and butoh. I started by asking, where did dance start? I was, I started studying music really early actually. Um, and then I think that had a kind of natural progression into dance for me because, uh, well, I grew up in the country. So the main thing that anyone did was sport. You, you joined a team or you joined a club or something like that. And then voila, that was it. Um, but somehow or another, I was heavily involved in music f- since I was five or so. And then, but I was, my brother and I were also super sporty. And then at one point in primary school, and I, I don't know how it came about, but I choreographed a jazz routine to Jennifer Lopez for my friends and I, and we were in Hawaiian, sh- um, Hawaiian shirts and board shorts. And it was just totally fabulous. Um, and then the, and the, my teacher at the time suggested that I, that I go to a dance class and I just went, um, and I mean, I, I suppose in retrospect, it seems like the perfect kind of symbiosis of my, of my long time kind of musical training since, since, uh, nine years or something that, and then combined with all of the sporting activities that I was doing, you know, it just made sense with the the musicality joined with the the physicality and and then uh yeah and then that kind of took off and that was that so not really anything poetic i don't think just kind of came together and were there many boys dancing in like where you were dancing because it was very uh, like rural new south wales right yeah rural new south wales cootamundra there were two of us um at that time when I started and the other guy had been dancing for, I think most of his life. So I took a lot of inspiration from him, even though he was younger, he was much more capable than I was and much more interesting and, and much more committed actually, because I wasn't so committed to it. I was really into my, into my music and I was going to make a thing of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, there were only two of us at that time. And then I think after about three years, I don't know what it, what happened, but there came this s- people around me who were older and had been dancing for a while, like the older women, they said, yeah, yeah, it comes in cycles, these boys getting into dance. And so after about, I think it was after two years or three years when I first started and there were just two of us, in about three years, there was a there was a class every two days for a group of, of young boys. And I mean, there were like 15 of us in a class on our own in this small country town, you know? And and then it stayed like that for about two or three years and then it dropped off again and there were, you know, we were down to three or four of us. So yeah, it's really interesting to to, to consider in, in retrospect, but there were two of us when I started and then it and then it took off for a while and I ended up, I ended up actually teaching that boys class after two or three years that I was training because I mean, I started getting into it and and so then I started teaching the younger classes and then teaching the guys because they were so 
no one really had an idea of how to control young boys in a dance class. And so then I came in with these kind of bombastic ideas about running around and sliding and jumping and, and all of that kind of palaver. And that seemed to, I think, first of all, it seemed to tire them out, which was a great, great thing. So it got rid of their like extra energy and then maybe their, their um, kind of cognitive abilities would kick in and, and, you know, consider more uh, coordination or, rhythm or something is as enjoyable once they got through that so where was that turning point where you decided okay instead of music i want to do dance um i think it was in year seven or eight i think um because i i wanted to go to the the conservatorium in Sydney to, to go for the, for the music. But then there came this opportunity. I think it was when I was in year, year eight or nine, this opportunity through, through public education, there was this organization set up called the arts unit. And my mum randomly found an opportunity to audition for them in the country. Cause they were looking for country kids for this big performance in Sydney. And my mum took me and I made the audition and they offered me a spot in a couple of their places and then that was it, basically. It was just really by chance. And I guess I was also very lucky that my parents, um, one, wanted to support it and two, were able to financially um, do that. So, yeah, it was when I was about 14, 13, 14, I think. And that was when I first kind of laid eyes on whatever the hell contemporary dance is, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that was, that was it, really. Yeah, it's so weird how people explain that feeling or that, uh, that notion of finding dance. Yeah. Because I think so many other careers, you don't talk about that kind of like light bulb moment or those yeah. things of like what it felt like or that door yeah. opening. I think there were a few things opening for me because it was it was tied in a lot with it was tied in a lot with my sexuality and also with my environment too. Because before before I'd gotten into this this uh, dance ensemble that had its rehearsals in Sydney. I'd never really been to, to the big city. So, so these first trips that I made to Sydney, it was, was a whole kit and caboodle, eh? It wasn't just me. I mean, a large part of it was me discovering this contemporary movement vocabulary or this genre, but also it was me seeing two guys together in, you know, in a dancing environment and, you know, not even the fact that no one was batting an eyelid, but just the fact that it even existed. You know, my whole brain just went, I, I don't understand this. And we're all just going to dance all day. And then we're all going to go out into the city for lunch. And, you know, so uh, f for me, there were like three or four closet doors opening at the same time, you know, like uh, it was very, very, very overwhelming. But absolutely one of these light bulb light bulb moments but certainly about about dance and, and wanting to get involved in that but there was a, a life that's probably more the stronger point there was a lifestyle thing in there that I totally fell in love with this uh strong sense of community and and support and um yeah for things that we that we weren't 
sure about, you know, these ideas running around and what are we doing creating this thing and who's going to, who the hell is going to come and sit and watch this stuff and why would they even bother coming to watch this stuff, you know, what are we, so, yeah. Are there things looking back that you wish you knew about dance that you didn't at the time? No, I'm very happy that I discovered it so with such a naivety. Absolutely. No, because I have such I have such potent images burned into my skull, you know, even the colour of the guy's hair who was wrapped around another guy, this bright pink and purple hair with mixed in with his natural black hair. No, absolutely. The naivety that I had going in there, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish for a different way. I wouldn't wish to go in there knowing what was going on. It was like Alice in Wonderland or something like that. That's totally what it was. And I, I, and that whole, that whole first period of these rehearsals and I was so, um, so emotionally turbulent and I'm sure it was because of all of those things and these discoveries that, that I didn't even realize at the time was, was happening, you know, psychologically, these, these small explosions or revelations or understandings, but I mean, that was, was like, yeah, New Year's. Yeah. Dance has kind of taken you all over the place because, I mean, you mentioned going to Sydney, but you also went to Melbourne when you were quite young and then New Zealand, then to Sydney and now in Europe. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, where it's taken you? It's funny, I was just... When I jumped onto Facebook, it came up with a memory from from my first one of my first days in Melbourne actually when I, when I moved there so I think it might have been around around this time that I moved but yeah I went I went to Melbourne first to to VCA secondary school and that was only for a year but again this um thrown into the deep end of art school I mean what what was that after living in Cootamundra for 17 years and I remember, yeah, it was a, a really intense period, but I had an amazing time at that, at that school. And, and then, actually, I have a very good story, but, yeah, I had, I had a really intense period at VCAS. I don't know if I've told you this before, but um, I had this, you know, the ideal for a, for a dancer or the conventional ideal that I understood coming from Kudamanja was that, okay, I'm going to be a ballet dancer, I'm going to get a full-time job, and I'm going to be set up with like with superannuation and support for the rest of my life. And my parents are going to think it's great and I'm going to be all good. And maybe I'm going to marry a woman and have a kid. And it's just all going to be super. Anyway, so I arrived into Melbourne VCAS and I was like, okay, everything is a spectrum here. Okay, what what the fuck is a spectrum? Uh, all right. Uh, anyway, so I got there and I had all my you know, my goals and my ambitions kind of tied up in my head really tightly. And I remember one of the first meetings I had with, with one of our teachers there was, um, was about how I had all the character and, and all the drive to, and even something like the face or the, or the, the focus to become a ballet dancer, but you just don't have the legs or the feet or the back. And I remember cursing my parents under my breath, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, Another another story was that I was totally infatuated with Sydney dance, as I think every other dancer was as well. And I remember having a meeting with our head of dance at that point, and he said, "All right, Tom, so it's your last year of of arts of art school training, and 
we're going to send you off on secondment somewhere. Where do you want to go? And I said, well, I'm going to dance for Sydney Dance Company one day. So it would be really great if maybe I could go there for, you know, a week of classes or something. And he said to me, I don't think we should waste people's time. Um, and that was that. So I didn't, I didn't go there. Now I auditioned for New Zealand School of Dance and I went to NZ for three years. And then every time I came home from, from NZ in the summer holidays, I went to Sydney Dance and I took company classes there at the beginning of every year for just two or three days. And in my third year at, at NZ, uh, Rafa wrote to the school and, and um, offered that I would come for some work experience. And I went for some work experience in my third year and it was, it was a week that turned into a month that turned into a kind of understudy position, which was, you can imagine, totally unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, and then I ended up moving back to Sydney just as soon as I finished in NZ. And then I was there for, for three years. Yeah, so interesting. Like, you had your mind set so strongly on dancing. Or yeah. Sydney Dance Company, and you kind of made it happen. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I, I've thought about that numerous times actually and how I my time at VCAS in Melbourne and in New Zealand I I was seriously um cultivating my body and my mind to to get into that company it was really at the forefront of my mind like crafting and molding my body my aesthetic my dynamics into a dancer that that he would want and that I knew that he would want and you know maybe that sounds a bit um Maybe that sounds a bit, what's the right word? Not arrogant, but fortuitous. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's ambition. And I had, I really had that at, at, at the beginning of my training. And I, I wanted that position so bad. So, you know, I think you can, yeah, you can really mould yourself into whatever you envision. It's so cliche and awful to say, but that's what I did. And that's just true. And Sydney Dance Company's model is such an ensemble. So when you left Sydney Dance, you kind of took a bit of a leap of faith into the unknown freelance, what's going to happen next into the kind void. of world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I left, I left Sydney Dance with a really, with a really um, strong feeling in my, in my body. What do I mean by that? I mean, I knew that I was missing something. I knew that I had gained an incredible amount of um, experience and knowledge from from Sydney dance, but I also knew very clearly that there was there was a next stage that needed to happen. And I think I was. I mean, maybe again, it's a, it's a stroke of naivety coming from from the country and and perhaps not realizing what a fortunate position I was in in the company, but whatever it was, I just, I tapped out as soon as I realized, <laughs> as soon as I realized that I was missing something. Um, but I took all that I'd, all that I'd experienced from Sydney dance and, and kind of ran towards nothing, to be honest. And it was totally, yeah. You had the full-time job, you had the superannuation, you didn't have the girlfriend. I didn't have the girlfriend. I didn't have a, what's it called? Those little children. 
No, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a really intense period for me because I didn't I didn't do so much really. I spent a lot of time just um, researching and looking at different things. And I mean, in my mind, I wanted to go as far away as I could from from what I'd known the last basically six years, three years of school and three years of city dance, where you know the motivations were really specific take your body to its absolute limits of virtuosity and get yourself into a position that is valued by everyone around you and consequently um assist you in valuing yourself in the most um poignant and profound way and and I really felt like I'd achieved that and I felt like I had been pushing myself um in that trajectory for for a long time so then it was like okay well now what do i do then you know and and i i feel very very lucky to have even had the opportunity or reached the point where i you know could honestly say that to myself because i don't think a lot of people do in any aspect of um of their lives or indeed in in any other industries not just in dance so um yeah, I was happy to say goodbye to that intensity and then head towards a different kind of place, which ended up being the middle of Japan at the foot of the mountains and rice fields, not eating for a week and crossing the room in an hour or something like that. So this is your discovery of Buto, yeah? Yeah, that was the discovery of of the thing that people call Buto. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Don't really know what to say, to be honest. Um, but there's something about that that grabbed you. I mean, you've been back to Japan again and, yeah. you know, it's kind of become some sort of obsessions, perhaps the wrong word, but it's become a part of your practice, I guess, in some respects. For sure. It's become a kind of cornerstone of it, really. Actually, maybe not cornerstone, but a new foundation. Because I really, I really have this schizophrenic feeling about my dancing. And I have more or less always. But yeah, it, it grabbed me from, from the word go. And I, I mean, it was really, it was a video on YouTube that I first saw and I remember just watching it on repeat for days and days and days and just trying to work out what it was that that was interesting about it because they weren't doing anything. I mean, you know, at that point, I I didn't understand what was going on. Maybe that was the fascination because it seemed like nothing but was happening, but there was such a complexity to it that I couldn't wrap my head around. And there was an engagement with, and my master would probably stab me with a kebab stick for saying it, but... It, my intellect was was really engaged with it because I was trying to work out what the motivations were for it. And it was clear that there were really um, I mean there was such a heightened focus in this in this video and all of the other ones that I ended up consequently finding and obsessing over. Um, there was a focus that I hadn't that I don't think I'd felt in my own body for for a while. Um, or in my mind, to be to be honest, and uh, yeah, so I ended up discovering that there was a a week long workshop, and 
I bought my tickets to Japan straight away, I think, and registered, registered with them, and then that was it. And I've, as you say, I've been back to Japan once every year since then. So the last three years, for a month, just training all day and all night, and not doing anything else. Yeah. And how is that? I guess it's such a different body practice compared to what might be called contemporary or classical or whatever in the West. Mm. It's such a different, different practice. So coming with, I guess, all your um, body baggage or all the stuff that you've learnt previously, like is there stuff that you had to unlearn or rethink or? Yeah, I mean, the word integration, I find really difficult to, uh, that's what I want to say, but I think it's, I think that in, the integration of uh, Bhutto into my kind of body baggage, as you say, which is a really nice term, actually. I don't feel like I've necessarily succeeded in that. Like I said before, I feel much more schizophrenic in the way that I'm kind of understanding my my dancing, my approach to to uh, to executing movement, my approach to process, and 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 these kind of things. So, not really sure. I think for for a long for a long time, and about a long time since I started these intense practices in, in Japan. And then obviously I continue with them when I'm alone. I spent, you know, two, two years since, since first jumping on the, on the Bhutto wagon, still running away from, from the body that I was before, from the dancing that I was before. And that was really important for me was to feel like I'd, I'd gained some, some, I mean, temporal distance, of course, you know, two years since Sydney dance, but also some kind of um, somatic distance as well, which meant not, which first meant identifying the body that I had learned from Sydney dance and then uh, identifying the ways in, the methods and the ways in which I employed that body and then trying to, to um, let all of those things, the identification and the employment of that body to rest leave it to rest and to just focus on this new, this new um, bag of information from, from Bhutto. And so maybe I can say actually at the moment, the, the integrational process is really only just starting to happen now as I, at risk of, like, I know I can't really say this, but I'm going to say it at the, you know, as I feel like I start to understand how Bhutto manifests itself in my body because I would never call myself a Bhutto dancer and I would never, I would, I would regret saying that I understand what Bhutto is, but I think that I'm beginning to understand how, uh, how Japanese Bhutto manifests itself in, in my body, which means the beginning of a kind of integration because there is one body here and, and, uh, you know, I, I do understand and realize that I, I can't separate. It's not possible to separate, uh, 
the body that I had with Sydney dance from the body that I had now. I mean, it's all just, all of the information is in there, whether it's embodied or not. And it, it will, it will affect every decision that I make with my body from this point on, you know, that strong base that I had with Sydney dance. But I'm also coming to understand that that is what makes any of my decisions in regard to dancing or or being uh, unique. It's just a composition. Yeah. And in terms of um, obviously relocating and moving to Europe, that was three years ago, two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. I came over to Europe a year before I moved over and I took a workshop with Emmanuel, um, which was another really intense kind of process. And, uh, and then when I moved over to Europe, just on a whim, basically, uh, to be with, to be with my partner, Emmanuel wrote to me, uh, kind of the week before I moved over and said, Hey, do you want to start the day after you land? And I said, yeah, that, that would be great. And that was really it. Um, so I've basically been working with him since I came over for about two years and, uh, yeah, we have kind of six, six different bits of rap, um, in, in action on tour at the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's enough work that I can, that I can live kind of comfortably, um, yeah. So I've been working with him f- as as a dancer for for about 2 years and then last year I started doing some restaging work for him, so taking some existing bits of rep to different um younger companies but also um ballet companies and and restaging these works and setting them up for different performances, which has been amazing to work in a in a kind of pedago- pedagogical sense. Um which brings a whole new perspective and level of understanding of his philosophy and and the way that he works and and how how the pieces come together and you know so I, f- I feel really fortunate actually to have that kind of opportunity to get in on his on his on his ethos and philosophy philosophy from another perspective it's totally invaluable um, especially because I I mean I really feel like with him there's in this workshop that I, where I first met him, um, he never, he never spoke. And to be honest, and since then, actually maybe once or twice, he's spoken, uh, specifically about movement. Um, but almost every time he he speaks to us, the company, or even, even when we're one-on-one, he, his comments are so applicable to, um, so many other things other than dance. It was really something that, that grabbed my attention um, because I could apply them to different areas of, of, uh, of living as well. And that was, something, that was something that I hadn't encountered before was this open philosophy that wasn't just limited to, to a dance or a, or a dancing, um, in fact. So, yeah, so I'm still working with him as a, as a kind of, pedagogue and then last year um i did my my first uh design commission for him so we had a new creation last year with the ensemble modern and 
yeah, and I designed the costumes for this for that piece, which again was a whole new, a whole new field of of exploration and and revelations again about process and composition and practice and and I had I had so many yeah there were so many parallels that that came into that came into being with how I'm thinking about my own dancing and and creation and and what's right for me right now so yeah and so you're designing more more stuff at the moment yeah so the the costumes for Storywater for Emmanuel they're still on tour and we're going to probably make another set of those this year but also Emmanuel's making a new work for Scottish Dance Theatre um, for which I'm doing the costume design also um, and then at the end of this year we're, we're restaging uh, another work of Emmanuel's called Sunny on the Berlin State State Theatre and so I'm going to do the costumes for that as well which is great and when I come back to Oz, in about two weeks, I'm doing costume design for Rachel Arian Ogle um, for her new work for Dance Massive. So that's that's nice too. What is it about costume that has interested you? Um, I mean, I think it's it starts with the material, the fabric itself, like the tactile the tactile thing to have a fabric in my hands. And I've always been, I've always been interested in clothes and clothing and fabric. That's, I mean, I think that was even before it, before a dance situation or even before a music situation came into my life. So there's, there's something quite, I mean, in, in regards to my life, something primordial, like from my younger, from my childhood that I, that I associate with. And, you know the thing that one of the things that I discovered in this first costume design process was was how uninhibited I was and how easily I could go with my instincts in terms of choosing a fabric um looking at form and 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 uh, structure and and it all felt so easy and simple and I haven't felt that in my dancing for a long time and especially I haven't felt that in a, in a creation process for, for a dance work for a long time. And so all of, a sudden, all of a sudden I rediscovered my instincts in terms of creativity. And that was, that was really kind of mind-blowing for me because, like I said, I have felt quite stale in my, in my dancing and, and dance creation. So there's something, there's something really basic um, in terms of instinct um, an imagination that has come out in these design processes that I'm, that I'm trying to take across into my dancing, which I think is starting to work. Which is very odd, you know, because I have, well, maybe it's odd, but maybe it's not. You know, you would think that having so much, you know, I mean, I know I'm still young, but have, you know, having had so much experience as, as a dancer with, you know, a big company in Australia and different choreographers and training for so long, you would think that you'd have your shit together and you'd be able to just chill and trust yourself with the knowledge and experience that you have to make 
good decisions, whatever that is, right decisions, valuable decisions in terms of your practice, in terms of what you want to put out in the world, in terms of how you want to follow your philosophy or how you want to generate a reputation or whatever. But I, I, have, I have the sense that I have zero of that in my dancing and zero of that. In, I mean, zero is very dramatic, but, you know, to make a point. I have the sense that I have zero of that in my dancing and that's crazy. That's nuts. It, and it's silly. But because of that, then my ambitions are taking me into other mediums where, where there is such a liberation because I don't know the rules, because I don't understand the parameters, because I don't understand techniques, because I don't understand tools or how to do this or what I should be doing, you know, and there's, there's such a liberation in that. And I think the most valuable thing that I have at the moment is this costume design situation, um, and consequently, a, a lot of writing uh, about those those um, revelations, because I can transpose all of my ambitions um, in regards to dance, dancing, choreography, and movement creation and performance. I can transpose all of those ambitions into another medium. I can transpose all of the the experiences that I've had the the confidence that I've felt in, in myself, in my body, um, you know, to do all of these intense performance seasons and, and things like that. I can transpose that into my, into a different medium somehow. And, and, you know, there you go. Suddenly my instincts appear. Suddenly my, you know, a trust in my aesthetics, a trust in my, I mean, even in my body too, you know, make building these sculptural um, designs around mannequins with these, textures and these fabrics that move and have life of themselves you know there's disgustingly cliche but there's movement in that and there's dance in that and I think I think that's how I'm rebuilding my my that's how I'm rebuilding a trust in my dancing body through a different medium and that's that's I thank god for that yeah that sounds incredibly valuable <laughs> And just even like the look on your face is so obviously excited about yeah. that, yeah. Um, which is not going to translate into the podcast, but the passion <laughs> will. <laughs> but you know, it was it again that that the first period that I had in the atelier when when we started building these costumes and we had this incredible incredible material material the calico Tyvek, which is like an industrial grade paper that's been treated with some oil that acts like paper, so it has a strength and a, a will of its, if, of its own, if treated um, nicely. Um, when I first started working with that with my hands, I had, this, I had this tingle, this sensation from the back of my head all the way down my spine, you know, spreading out across my kidneys and my lower back. And that's, I've only ever had that sensation when I, when I have been dancing. I've only ever had that kind of bliss or ecstatic physiological reaction when I'm dancing and when I'm actually using my body. And in this situation, I had this material in my hands and I just, you know, twisted it, squeezed it a little bit, pushed it, slid it around my fingers, let it fall out of my hands. And I think it fell onto the floor of the table or something. And it fell into this form that, that struck me straight through the back of the bottom of my head. And it went all the way down my spine. And I just thought, all right, that's uh that's something 
That's so powerful as any mean. Like. Yeah. 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 So dramatic. It's all just so dramatic. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> Beautiful, though. Um, final question. Yes. Uh, what does 2019 have in store for you? My trips to Japan haven't just been for, you know, kind of leisurely butoh strolls. Not that there's such a thing, but I've also been developing a, an intimate spectacle with a now colleague and friend of mine um, who's a butoh dancer from Japan. So we've been working together just kind of once a year for a week or two weeks every time I go over to develop this performance duo project. And this year we have a residency in Greece um, which is a longer period and there's we've got some great support there for showing um, and further development. So that's one of my focuses is to, to get that project to a point where we can start to share it with, with people and understand what kind of um, life it could lead. Um, that's one of my main focuses. My another... My other main focus is actually to do more to do with writing and, and text and with this piece, I suppose you could call it an essay that I've been really slowly, um, what's the word, exercising from my body, exorcising, also exercising, but exorcising from my body. So I'm kind of possessed with this hideous idea that my homosexual life is void of telos and meaning and purpose. So I'm towards the end of that and I would really like this year to to share that with with people once I feel like it's at a stage that's reflective of the kind of exorcism that I envision. So those are the two main focuses this year. I also have a beautiful new apartment in Brussels, which is a total shit fight at the moment, but it's got great exposed brick and there's lots of room and there's going to be a boudoir upstairs that any sexual dancers can come and stay in. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> I'll pat the pillow for you. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find a list of episode notes on the website delvingintodance.com. You'll find a list of other episodes from previous seasons, including with the likes of Judith Mackerel, David McAllister, Damien Gillet, Raphael Bonicella, and Deborah Jowett, plus many, many more. You'll find Delving to Dance on Twitter, on iTunes, and on Facebook. As always, Delving to Dance relies on the support of you, the listener. So if you are enjoying these episodes and you want to help support Delving to Dance so we can continue, please consider contributing online. At the moment, all contributions are going to helping to transcribe all the previous episodes to make this rich archive accessible to deaf audiences. As always, we love your support. Delving into Dance also acknowledges the support of the Victorian government through Creative Victoria. Until next time, take care.